I want to charter a boat from New Bedford mm -hmm. and be the first one to lead a tour of these 62 winter mice to sail around amongst them and look up and see them. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, anywhere, anytime on the internet, WFPR.FM, in in the local Franklin FM radio dial 102.9 here today. It's a Monday. I'm looking to make some sense of climate because there's so much going on. And I got my climate guide, Ted McIntyre. Ted, good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Steve. Pleasure to be here, as always, uh, keeping my nose above water with all the climate news implications, cross currents, and waves, so to speak. And there's mixed metaphors in there, but that's okay, because this is a mixed metaphor to begin with, which is why we're trying to make some sense of climate, because, oh, my word, yeah. Every time you turn around, there's a headline here, headline there, and it's like, what? Right. No one should be. I mean, if if people are listening to this to try and make sense of things, don't be embarrassed because it's confusing because it is. It's kind of the fog of war. I mean, it's all manner of things happening. And the issue is, do you have some sort of alignment, some sort of way to make to make sense, some bigger picture. So when new a new piece of information comes in, you can drop it into some slot. At mm. least, and and everyone's everyone's array of slots is a personalized thing, right? Depending on how you see the world. Sure. But still, in all, uh, it's an important thing to think about because we're all faced with a big challenge. So they, yeah, so. Yeah, and I think for the listeners, if you're new, welcome. If you've been with us for a bit, fasten the seatbelt. We're going to go for a ride, but. Effectively, we've been on this journey helping me make sense of climate because, oh, verily, there is the roadmap internationally, globally, and mass has stepped up and has its own net zero roadmap with yard markers in 2030, 2035, yada, yada. Um, we've had our state rep, Roy, who happens to lead uh, TUA. Telecommunications Utility and Energy. Committee, who's in the central role. So we've added that voice to this. And one of the things that I think has been kind of a theme, and I think we'll spend more time on today is, you know, people come up with roadmaps and the roadmap, oh, that looks good. You know, it's almost like everything's going to fall into place tomorrow. It's going to happen perfectly. And yet we, it's almost like left hand, right hand doesn't necessarily know what's going on, or that's where we have to make sense of what's going on. And in some cases, it, it is just hard. You know, you're trying to do good and you can't do it today. It's going to take time. Well, right? the, the the famous saying of the devil residing in the details. Yeah. You can have a lofty goal, but then when you actually start to work on things, you realize there's lots of implications. And that's not a reason to walk away, but it is a sobering, shall we say, bracing reminder that it is not easy to do these things we've set out. But of course, I'll quote John F. Kennedy, right? We went to the moon, not because it is easy, but because it is hard, as he said with his Boston accent. Yeah. Right? We need to do this stuff, and we need to accept that it's not all going to be 
necessarily easy and figuring out the best way to do it is our job. And when one of the prior episodes we talked of, there was a couple of lawsuits against the offshore wind farms and supposedly some of them had been funded by the Koch brothers and other conservative interests using various front groups who may in fact be legitimately concerned about some things and yet they're getting funded for other reasons and the judge said go away <laughs> for at least a set of those who were in the most recent set of challenges so yeah as much as that was you know like oh concern oh they're going to challenge Oh, time goes and justice is at least at this point in our favor. I am getting a law school degree from uh, University <laughs> of uh, MSNBC. So now I know what a now I know what a summary judgment is. Uh, and it turns out that a summary judgment is when the judge decides that there's enough evidence, it's all clear, and that she can make a decision, boom, and call something one way or the other without actually going to trial. Right. I think in the recent example, there were a set of groups, as you say, in varying degrees, there was a squid um, farming or squid fishery kind of guy, and there were other people that are funded by groups that fundamentally don't want wind energy to be generated, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're basically from Texas, right? And fossil fuel interest, fossil fuel interest backing. And they tried to put in what I would regard again, not, not actually being a lawyer, sort of a nuisance suit or a Hail Mary pass, so to speak, to try and get what's called an injunction, which is an order from the court to stop building the wind turbines, which we've, which Steve, you and I have spoken of lovingly and shown the videos of the blades being carried out of New Bedford to try uh, these court cases to try and stop the the process. And I think what the the people that were making the complaint, which I think would be called plaintiffs in this case, right? Right. They were saying that the federal government in whatever agency granted the permit to build the wind turbines was capricious and did not follow the rules. Mm. And um, regardless of what you say about whether or not there's damage to the squid industry, right? That's water under the bridge. I mean, the, th the question before the court was whether or not the federal government acted capriciously in handing out the permits to build the Cape Wind project and the judge decided, not Cape Wind, I'm sorry, Vineyard Wind. The uh, to build that project and the judge made a summary judgment and said, no, you guys are just, you didn't prove your case. This is silly. You're out. And so mm -hmm. at least that set of complaints has gone away, which is a good thing. And it, what it connects to is the construction of the Vineyard Wind Project, which would be 62, I think like two mega, megavolt, megawatt terminals off Cape, off of Martha's Vineyard, and that is being constructed even as we speak, mm -hmm. essentially one turbine a day, right? Yep. 62 days to put up each turbine. I don't know if they're on schedule, but that's sort of the, and so that by Thanksgiving, the first power might be flowing into Massachusetts from these wind turbines. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the judge fortunately made a summary judgment to, to not issue an order 
to stop the construction. Construction continues. That's a good thing for you, me, and the world, and I think probably the squid as well. Because I, I, you know, in my own view, it's like these things they're going to put in the water out there are going to turn into what amount to coral reefs. They're going to be home for fishes. There's going to be places that animals like out there. And I, but you know, it, it is, it is just, just, I mean, we should not be too um, arrogant to say that nothing has, that these things will have no impact, right? That really you don't, you, you do your best to try and judge the impact and could something come up? Who knows? Who knows? I think the whales will find their way around the, the wind mm -hmm. turbines. The seagulls will find they won't fly into them. I mean, it's going to be good. So yeah, and there'll be an underwater, you know, uh, coral barnacle heaven <laughs> for the underwater species to populate and grow over time, etc. So, Steve, anybody who's listening to this that want that, I think it would be fascinating. So, let me back up. I expect the Vineyard Wind Project being constructed off of Martha's Vineyard is expected to be in operation sometime this year. Yeah. Okay. That's 62 of these enormous wind turbines, essentially off of Martha's Vineyard, but I think out of sight of land, right? Far enough out that so. I want to charter a boat from New Bedford mm -hmm. and be the first one to lead a tour of these 62 winter mice to sail around amongst them and look up and see them. And uh, if anybody out there wants to go, please send a note to we'll Steve and we will, we'll start a wish list and you can be the first, you know, if Elon Musk is offering the opportunities to be the first person to go to Mars with him, we can offer the chance to take a tour of the Vineyard Wind, uh, Vineyard Wind site. Yeah, and maybe do some whale watch along the way. Who knows? Yeah, for sure. And the other article, and I think as we segue along, because um, we got a couple of articles queued up. The second one was from the state inspector general who wrote kind of an editorial piece for Commonwealth Magazine, highlighting that from his perspective, he's detecting that, oh, there are going to be some challenges to school districts trying to electrify their buses because the current procurement requirements require, and again, consider the car and buses, you had to get the gas and fuel separately from the bus, which made a whole lot of sense because, oh, you know, buses, I mean, you don't buy a bus with gas in it. Once you drive it off the lot, they're going to give you a couple of gallons of fuel um, and you generally pay for that. But now electric buses, it's kind of hard for them to be driven off the lot unless the electricity is actually in there in the battery and stored and powered. So yay, verily, the electricity components are indeed integrated, integral to the operation of the bus. And yet current procurement says you need to separate. So now you need two contracts, two sets of bid processes. That's one a, for the bus. One for the bus. And, and one, one for, for the, the charging station. One for the charging station, right? Yeah. So any small town, their little office, respectfully, their office, it could be one person procurement, now has to do twice the work 
to bring in an electric bus contract for that school district. Yeah. And, you know, in his place, he's sitting at he's sitting at, at a role in mass and saying, um, there's an issue here. <laughs> we need to do something. Fortunately, mm-hmm. I think there will be ultimately some legislative remedies for this. And then the agencies are respectfully going to have to figure out, you know, OK, yeah, well, we'll cover this if it's this case. But you cover that if it's that case or such, you know, Solomon and Delilah are going to have to come into play. Right. And I, I think that the. The head of the Office of the Inspector General, right, he put up an opinion piece in Commonwealth Magazine, and it seems as if the um, the rule that requires the fuel to be purchased somehow procured separately from the buses allows, not allows, it prevents waste, fraud, and abuse, right? The famous, I mean, that's what the Inspector General is worried about, is that you'd get into some situation where you're wasting money because the contract's too cozy. You see, and, that, and the question is, how does that work out in the case of electric buses and chargers? And it's, it would seem that the, it would seem that the electric bus providers, which it turns out there's only one of, Right. There's At a, least so according a, to the state bid list. Right. right. There's there only one more, the but there's only one on the state bid list. You would think that the easiest thing would be for that bus provider to also provide the charging stations, but it's it gets very confusing. And his suggestion was, for example, what's called the Department of Energy Resources could reclassify the charging stations as something other than fuel. Right. Right. Just kind of a legend, you know, a sleight of hand. Mm-hmm. But I think it points to the what you were talking about before, Steve, is that as we go along, we will learn where there are these, shall we say, friction points in the implementation of the vision. And we need to recognize them and fix them as soon as possible. Right. This right. seems like on the one hand, the guy was saying it's not just a the author of the opinion piece said it's not just a bureaucratic question, right? This will affect how people, how much money is spent, how fair the contracts are, all these kind of stuff. So it's got to be worked out, but it clearly is a uh, something that you want to go smoothly. To Again, for people who may not thought, have thought about it much, electric school buses is just this ideal, perfect example of electrification in the sense that the buses run a fixed route every day, they go back to the same depot every night. They can be charged overnight, right? All that's good. The, the buses are better for the kids, right? Because there's less pollution. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it's like this wonderful solution. You say, I mean, if you can't electrify school buses, then you're not going to electrify anything, right? I mean, this is a perfect, perfect case. But then you bump into these kind of, um, I mean, legitimate issues, right? No one's saying right. that the, the original rule was yeah. bad. It's just that, now it's a problem and what are we going to do about it? And yeah. unless people are aware of it and support a solution um, and you, you don't need to know what the solution is. You just need to know there's a problem and that somebody smart needs to, to jump mm-hmm. on it. Right. Yeah. And clearly the, the bid processes, especially at the state level have indeed been structured such to provide a fair and equitable opportunity on both sides, certainly on the bidder, you know, the, those seeking the bids, the towns, the municipalities, the other government agencies, as well as from the business side. So whether it's a school bus drive uh, company in this case or whoever else is going to be bidding for a state contract, you want to have it transparent, open. Everybody knows the playing field. So you don't have any of these shady deals, backroom deals, et cetera. Totally understand that. Absolutely. 
agree it. But here, because, oh, where the rubber meets the road, pun intended, <laughs> the, the process is such that it's complicating the evolution in terms of, you know, getting to green tomorrow. Well, it's going to take some time. Or, or it's going to take it's going to take action and awareness on the part of people. I won't, I will mix metaphors and say the people who are driving the bus right on Beacon Hill, right? Mm -hmm. They need to know what's going on and react in a timely way so that right. it doesn't drag on because this is something that I think could be resolved. And I guess, dear listener, again, there's so many subcurrents here, but right now, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the Biden administration's big climate bill, has a lot of money. Let's just say a lot of money. Uh, think the Powerball that you did not win last week is, <laughs> is chicken feed, okay? There's a lot of money running around, and a lot of it could go, we could be getting these buses in every community in Massachusetts, right? We should be pushing for that. Uh but we don't, we need to have all the ducks in a row to make it happen. And we just need to focus to do that. Mm -hmm. Then the other article giving us another segue to Brayton Point, which certainly from time to time, anybody in the last 10 years has heard Brayton Point in, in any number of contexts. It had been a power site. It became a recycle site. The neighbors were uproared on both cases. Um, and then... Biden, to your point, actually came. Rep. Roy was either there that very same day, if not on days following, because that is touted as one of the entry points, one of the process points for enabling the wind offshore deals. And this company is trying to build a cable manufacturing facility that'll provide, you know, bunches of jobs, bunches of money. It's great place, great positioned. And some of their supply ships today are fuel-based. They haven't fully changed. They've also committed to change those because the ones that they own. And yet some of their auxiliary ships so that they would rent or lease or doing a deal with some other contractor to say, I need some capacity for two or three whatevers. Those would not necessarily be electrified vehicles and the folks in Brayton Point looking to control their own piece. They've got the zoning set, et cetera, saying they need to all be electric. And now you're running into, you know, okay, is how do you get to perfect? It can't happen overnight. <laughs> this, I think this is just a, an extremely interesting and very fascinating kind of question. And let me just say, I grew up in New Bedford, and every time we would drive from New Bedford to Providence, we'd cross the Braga Bridge, and there by the Braga Bridge was the Brayton Point power plant, which mm -hmm. in my my youth back in the 70s was burning coal. I marched to the Brayton Point coal power plant probably, oh, I don't know, eight years ago when they were trying to sh shut it down. There were mm -hmm. climate protests outside of it. The neighborhood around Brayton Point, so Brayton Point is literally on the water, right? right it looks water out onto yep. uh, onto sort of towards Block Island. Those na that neighborhood has been, as they said, wiping dust off their cars from the coal plant for fifty years. I mean, they've been, uh, I would say, in some sense, abused by the corporate owners of the land, mm -hmm. and they don't trust anybody, and 
now what apparently you would say is a fairly reasonable Italian company. Uh, the com so the company that wants to take this site and make the cable, the underwater cable manufacturing facility is an Italian firm. They have been responsive. Um, but what the issue comes down to is that I guess when these ships come in, it takes like two weeks for them to offload what they're offloading or they're there for two weeks and that they have to, as it stands now, they have to run their diesel engines for seven by 24 for those 14 days. Mm -hmm. Right. And that the people in the neighborhood, I guess, are just not willing to uh, put up with that anymore because they've had it for too long. Right? right. The company has agreed that they will electrify all their own ships. Now, what does that mean? That means when they get into port, somebody takes a, a huge AC cable, plugs a boat in, and now the whole ship can run from uh, electricity that's generated on shore, right? But what the article says, again, it's very interesting, is that in contrast to New Bedford or other places, these big ships require something like a 6,000 volt, you know, it's, I don't know, God knows how many amps. Extension cord by it's any not means. an extension cord by any means. <laughs> it is a big piece of cable. They said it, it's as much to run like government center or something. Or, no, no. One of the one of the uh, the amount of power it takes to keep this boat alive is equivalent to something at Logan Airport. One of the right. terminals. Logan. Terminal, so terminal a, C or something. Yeah. So it's a really big power demand, and nobody wants to pay for that, right? And nobody. Uh, but the the company said that they would electrify their boats to accept, you know, to, to do all, but. There is this one exception when the company needs to essentially rent a boat from someone else. For me, what this brings up is that there is a whole, well, it brings up a bunch of stuff, but one is the whole question of if you're going to talk about a just transition, right? This is a case where what you would call a frontline community that has faced the Whatever has happened in the past is there. They need, and I have said repeatedly, the frontline communities need to be included, right? You have a yep. frontline community in Everett looking over the Everett natural gas. You have frontline communities in Chelsea. I mean, they're everywhere, right? How is it that we can fairly treat, you know, have this transition be just and listen, but at the same time, not and again, then he flipped the other way. How can you not be beholden to a small neighborhood that, you know, doesn't want this? It's almost cheaper to like buy the neighborhood, right? Buy all the houses in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. which of course is terrible to say. So I forget I said that, right? But I mean, how do we, and, and this is where it comes down to, and it, look, it comes down to a nitty gritty of how do we make progress? And it's not at all clear. It sounds like Brayton Point, which is in Somerset. So, Brayton Point is a location in the town of Somerset. Somerset is ready, according to this article anyway, is ready to uh, blow itself up over this because there's bad feeling among the different, because mm -hmm. I think most of the people in the town recognize that this is an incredible boon to the town and it would, to the whole state, I mean, it would be a great thing. But then you have this ongoing festering kind of um, um, burden on one neighborhood. It's like, man, I am glad I am not, like right on the firing line for that it's it, but then yeah. the other just one other thing is before i surrender the microphone steve <laughs> the other interesting question is that the environmental groups since the 1970s have been very good at stopping things 
right? So you have the people in the neighborhood in Brayton Point. You have the other people that were suing the wind turbines over the squid, right? As we talked about earlier. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the environmental was very good at that sort of opposition. I think now in the 2020s, we're shifting to a question is how does the environmental movement actually, in a positive sense, build things? How do you support the construction of things that will inevitably involve trade-offs, right? And that's a whole enormous topic by itself. So. Yep. And this is where clearly, and I totally respect the Brayton Point local view to the extent that, yeah, they've been hard done by. They don't believe companies coming in because, oh, by the way, at least the two prior ones obviously didn't do very well and thereby they got a poor track record. Whether the Italian company, the proof's in the pudding. They'll they'll find out over time. But right now they're saying no. <laughs> um, and the state has a role to the extent that clearly at the state level, they need to start helping do some of these, you know, uh, sponsorships, if you will, saying this, this is something that needs to be done for the commonwealth. And yeah, you may take the brunt of it, but not forever. Um, it's going to help. And it's it's kind of like ultimately down to, oh, by the way, three volunteers, three regular citizens like you and I who are on the zoning board now at the decision point, they've already turned it back. And yet the company has come back and said, oh, by the way, we'll do this. We'll do this. The states weighed in and said, consider this. And now they're at the point where we're just going to have to wait and see what they're going to do. But. Yeah, it's 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 to the point. I'll, I'll replay the line we started with. To get to good, it's not going to be tomorrow. But how long does it take to get there? And what are the trade-offs? And how do we do that? To your point, you know that the, these are real things to wrestle with. And this is why we're having these discussions. And certainly, we're open to having others join us because yeah, it's it, it's not a perfect world. We certainly know where we want to go. It's going to be tough getting there. Especially yeah. if more things like this happen. Oh, and, and believe me, they will, right? They, 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 there will be uh, uh, legitimate equities that conflict, mm -hmm. right? And how is, how as a society do we move forward in a fair way? Because, I mean, I am very sympathetic with the, the neighborhood. I mean, having walked through parts of it, I mean, they said that, that, Recently, the, the place has been used as a scrap metal company with big trucks rolling through the neighborhood, seven by 24. Right? Sure. It's just, and, and so then I fly up another 30,000 feet say, okay, the real problem is capitalism, right? That this stuff is owned and, and I mean, there's no answer there particularly, but the fact that somebody's trying to make a buck out of it, it's like, how much would it cost for the state to intervene and would it be fair to like put in the electrical equipment and pay the Italian company to go find an electrified boat if they wanted to rent something. I mean, see, yeah. again, reading the article, it seems like the Italian company has been very responsive, trying to do the right thing. You know, they say by 2041, which God knows, that's a long time from now. Right? But yeah. it's a little ways away. There'd be blah, blah, blah. But I mean, there's, there's got to be like a third entity. And it comes back to the question of whether or not the society, that is the state of Massachusetts, has an interest in seeing this go through and whether or not it's willing to pay the freight, literally, to make it happen, to right. ease the, the the threats on the people. Because well, I, I think that if, 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 forgive me, just, just if yeah. 
if it was 100% electrified shipping coming in and out of this place, the neighborhood evidently would not have a problem. So in the, what we're talking about now is one boat a year for 14 days mm -hmm. a year, right? There's got to be a way to resolve that to right. everyone's satisfaction. Yeah, and that's where, I mean, we're in a capital-type environment. It's a market economy. And there are companies that are now stepping up, a la this Italian company. At some point in time, there'll be an American company that'll be doing these cable bills. They're not there yet, right? And even on the bus topic, there was only one bus company qualified on the state certification list. It may very well be due to that dual conflict that we were talking about, that other companies have said, well, I don't want to go there until that's resolved, Right. It may be another company that's, you know, something like us, only now it's being started off on the side. They're not quite big enough yet. They're building their uh, market up, building their credit up so that they can then enter the market. All of that market economy stuff takes time. You know, we're, we're unfortunately spoiled by this Amazon world. You can order and it'll be delivered this afternoon in some cases, if not tomorrow, with Prime, et cetera. That doesn't always exist. And that's where Steve, I mean, the, 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 I agree with you. It's hard to do things fast, but the problem is that we have a, this 2030 deadline, right. That just complicates it since we okay. have fiddled while Rome burns since 1987, yep. right. We sure. put it off, put it now we're in this incredible time crunch. And how do you, to your point, I mean, yeah, it's really hard to do everything fast, but the demand is to act fast. And mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and I think with, a, uh, the trilogy, you can do it fast, cheap, or right. And you can only <laughs> use two of those. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, uh, and that may not be the best analogy in this place, but clearly there's a decision point. And that's where who's going to, you know, one if it's one day for 14, one time for 14 days, that may be a worthy decision point. But then the naysayers are saying, well, we don't trust them. So it could be like once a month. So now it's 12 times, 14 days times, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it, it's tough. And it's fascinating how it will come down to people who volunteered to be on a zoning board. Hmm. Right. Didn't think they were deciding the fate of the state's economy or the fate of, you know, the planet. Right. But man, it's, it seems almost, what's the word, Shakespearean or, you know, Greek tragedy kind of scale of a story. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, I guess I'd highly, so Steve, you'll put the link in, but it's in Commonwealth Magazine, right? It came yeah. out in the last couple of days. It's really, uh, really an interesting read and something to just be aware of. Yeah, and it was interesting. Kudos to Commonwealth Magazine for putting it when I did a search on the company name in the Globe. I think it appeared twice in this calendar year. So it's certainly something that hasn't generally been picked up in quote, the normal media being, you know, Boston Globe being the major media that's really pretty much left other than Commonwealth kind of filling in the gaps that they are. And it hasn't yet reached the kind of scale that I've it would have been picked up by some of my other outside sources, the Washington Post, New York Times, Guardian, et cetera, or in through some of the other you hadn't heard of it through some of your other climate radar channels, right? So it's it's a developing story, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, I think that's an interesting point to tee off briefly is that the what's the I think the word is your 
uh, epistemological universe, right? How do you learn things? How does information come into your mm-hmm. into your head, right? right? And this kind of lower level, I mean, it's not blazing news, right? No. What's going on in, in Brayton Point? I mean, how is any how does anybody find out about it? And in this day and age with the media environment, you do have to almost make an effort to track the stuff if you're interested in climate issues. Right. And the, the the site formerly known as Twitter, right, is getting worse and worse by the day, but this stuff does pop up. It's like you have to go out of your way if you want to hear this stuff to formulate channels that you trust that give you that. And I don't I mean, that's a, a again another whole show in and of itself. Is like how, we how can do you spend multiple shows on that topic? <laughs> right? How do you how do you learn about this stuff? But dear listener, if you care, um, just you know, start paying attention and try to trying to create your own set of channels because like the mainstream media is not going to get it to you until somebody gets shot in a in a zoning meeting in in Brayton Point, right? Yeah, we it, certainly it just, don't suggest that. We don't we don't want that to happen. But I mean, it, it doesn't make the media because there's too much bang bang stuff going on everywhere right. else. That, uh, yeah, yeah. The media focus in the declining media environment, declining respectfully. You've seen other headlines. There's newspapers are dropping, closing doors left and right because newspapers are a tough market. Um, for a whole variety of reasons, and they're better covered elsewhere. But yeah, we're trying to deliver at least d- worthy local digital news um, in our way and using the digital media a la podcast and some other social sources to try and pop up on the radar so that people who are aware will then hear potentially via us and say, oh, that's happening next door or that's happening down the street or that has implications for us later. Because all of those may apply in some of these stories we're talking through. Absolutely. If not all at once. <laughs> <laughs> Everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. I mean, it really uh, it really does, as I've said before, I'll probably say another hundred times, it's like climate touches everything. And you get into all these sort of different topics. There's something for everyone. Whatever your particular resonance is, there's a climate aspect that that you can contribute on. So, mm-hmm. yes. Well, having covered those three articles, <laughs> these are just kind of three current ones in the last couple of days worth. We could spend hours and hours, but thank you for helping me make sense of climate for the moment. <laughs> Come back. We'll have more to do. More to discuss. And if you have a topic, by all means, or would like to weigh in on one of our topics, drop us a line. We have our info on the social places. You you should be able to figure out how to get a hold of us. Thank you again, sir. My pleasure to be here. I appreciate you inviting me. And I think that uh, I look forward to our next conversation because I'm sure there will be another set of interesting things to discuss in the not too distant future. That is, you know, in in terms of death and politics, change is inevitable. So there's going to be something happening as we work along this road towards a a climate safe future. So, yes. And quick last reminder for the listeners, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? 
If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.